All righty. We are back. Episode oh, two. I don't thought that, well, hold on. I thought the show didn't start until we have the coffee poured. Oh, I, I started the last one with me pouring it because it sounded almost sounded like someone was either peeing or ripping a bong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's let's officially start it now. With the, now that we said the, that, with the depression of the, of the of the, you got this. I don't know what it's called. I mean, I know it's a French press, but yep. like, what do you call that that piece of the whole? What would you say? The depression of the dipstick? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a book right there, Depression of the Dipstick. I call it a gate, and that might just be because I'm a sound guy. <laughs> uh, but all right. <laughs> all three of our listeners have stopped now yeah. after that joke. Welcome. Episode two. On back-to-back weeks, we are committing to this. Yes, the redux. Redux. <laughs> the, the good season. The season that was. Was. And, and is. Will continue to be. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll call the first season the season that, that never was. It never was. Never will be. But uh, greetings, greetings, everybody. Uh, we're still getting in a vibe of this, of realizing like, oh yeah, I guess we're kind of necessarily talking to ourselves, but also everybody else. Yeah, you got to address the audience and uh, their concerns for uh, infotainment. I guess this would be considered. We definitely need to get a um, a one of those boards that can like do the punch in sound effects, so that we can like record me doing silly voices, and we can do that infotainment. Yeah, cool sound effects. <laughs> the ten hertz boost. Yeah, with the ten hertz boost on my gra- my my one band graphic EQ. Your uh, wish dot com Bluetooth <laughs> earbuds aren't going to hear that, but they will break from it. <laughs> they will explode in your ear, but you can't sue me. Not my fault. Can you? That's an interesting thing. I, well, I mean, it's the United States, so I imagine you could sue somebody for almost anything. But what if, what if an audio engineer purposefully put in some, maybe not purposefully, but put in some frequency at a certain level that caused damage to your ears, even, even at, a, at a rel- what appeared to be everything else was at a relatively normal volume level, mm. but there's some frequency in there, like, I don't know, jacked up 25,000 hertz or 48,000 hertz that's really inaudible, but it was causing damage. Could they be sued for that? There's a conspiracy out there that, uh, as my, my, <laughs> my dogs don't agree with this. They are right. shutting me down. I, I hear the 10 hertz boost. <laughs> in, a, in a passing, scrolling through the internet, uh, be this true or not, I read that the government allowed television manufacturers to manufacture televisions that uh, had a like a ringing frequency that was so high that people couldn't hear it, but it also might have then kept people like, it's so high that you don't consciously hear it, but subconsciously it almost like... It's still it, affecting like, you. It paralyzes you a little bit, Ooh. so you don't want to move away from the TV. I totally buy that. Apparently, there's a patent for it. We're I, not a oh, conspiracy theory oh, podcast. Oh, I mean, but. I mean, there's there are patents. I mean, like, there's all kinds of like conspiracy tech of stuff where it's like, you know, a lot of it comes from. Well, there are patents for a piece of that, and patents don't necessarily mean that it's actually there. It just means someone thought of the idea and, and had it, the money to get the patent to be like, yeah. well, at least I have this patented. So if somebody does then build this time machine or whatever it might be, yeah. then I'll make money off of it. So. Yeah, I don't know if I but, buy it. But I saw it I once, know. and it was like, oh, that was a fun 20 minutes. Well, I buy it. I mean, like, 
I mean, it's not a conspiracy. We all know that that advertisers would jack up the volume of their ads. It mm-hmm. would be louder than your broadcasting, so that you know when you're in the kitchen, you know during the ads, you can still hear it. I mean, that's yeah. that's not a conspiracy. We so, learned about that in school. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was yeah. some some freak. I mean, because sound is so powerful. I mean, the mm-hmm. military, the military uses sound waves mm-hmm. to affect things, and it's like well, also most audio equipment is just handed down military. Equipment. Yeah, like the first compressors were invented. Yeah, they're invented, all mil-spec. So like. Because on the battlefield, if someone's saying, like, you know, you need to bomb this coordinate, and, Make then, sure a, you can hear and that. then a bomb goes off, mm-hmm. the bomb's going to be louder than that guy's voice, so they invented compressors or limiters to, yeah. like, level out the guy's voice so they could audibly hear battlefield commands. Dude, would be so cool. I guarantee you there's some there's some field in the military. I'll talk to some of my military buddies and be like, is there, like, audio tech guys maybe somewhere in, I mean... I imagine it's not just that, but that'd be cool to get like somebody from the military to come and do like an interview with us. Yeah, like, that would talking be fun. about applications of that material. I mean, it's it's Tell probably me. all digital these days. It's not yeah. like they're using any cool like gear. I mean, maybe they are, but if they yeah. are, it's probably classified. I can't wait for twenty twenty two military spec audio equipment to be handed down and tinkered <laughs> with by a bunch of music nerds. It's just plugins. <laughs> we. <laughs> We Check use, out the uh, new Fab filter, filter Drone Strike plugin. <laughs> <laughs> the Pro D2. <laughs> oh, and canceled. And can- yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are against war, but we support our troops. Well put. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my stance stuff. I support I don't the, want anybody to kill each other. Yeah, the OG audio manufacturers, you know? <laughs> I, I, just want, <laughs> I just want to boost 10 hertz in every mix and hopefully blow people's eardrums. It's the delicious intent I have. I was in an antique store, and I found this old naval, like, radio uh, frequency generator Ooh. that was on, a, like, some naval ship. It Out of the corner of my eye when I was there, I thought it was some sort of, like beta test Shadow Hills mastering compressor. like it, Or, no, a Fairchild. It looked like yeah. a Fairchild before they nailed the design of the mm-hmm. Fairchild. And I was like, how much do they want for this? And I picked it up, and I it was like 70 pounds. Oh, yeah. And I was carrying around the antique store, and then I was like, I have no need for this. Like, I know it's only 15 bucks. Oh, it's 15 bucks? It might have been 50. Oh, dude, still. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the things I think that we've talked about doing here on... Not the podcast, but with with the subsequent connected YouTube channel is one giving you know tips and tricks. Like today, we've got we'll be talking. Well, our topic is going to be you know miking kick drums and different kick drum sounds. So that's definitely going to be one of the approaches that, that we're going to take in the in, in the visual aspect of some of these videos. But also, we've got a lot of ideas for just wacky audio tests. You know, we've got some some gear that we've both gotten that it's like, yeah, is this necessarily practical? Is this is this an 1176 or a 2A or, a, or yeah. an API EQ? Like, no. I mean, everybody knows those sound great, you know? There's nothing that we could show you with those that you haven't seen already. Yeah, but, there's nothing I can say about an EVQ that I've never uh, personally physically touched yeah. that matters. Yeah, you know, it's like, they sound great, you know? And it's also, you know, but you could also make the stock Pro Tools EQ sound great. It's about what you do. Um, yeah. But what we would try to do is find weird gear like that. You know, yeah. go to old old military, uh, what are they? They're the resale stuff where they sell all the old uh, military like gear and stuff. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, uh, there's a shit ton of them. Yeah, maybe they've Gettysburg. got, you know, maybe they got some old audio stuff. You know, we go to, to all this stuff and see. I found that uh, DBX 120 subharmonic synth, the same one that they use for the bass sound on Soundgarden. Yeah. It's an antique store for like 70 bucks. Exactly. And I looked it up and I was like, they go for like, they don't make them anymore. They go for like 300. Oh, damn. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just finding fun things to do like that, because that's that's what really you want interests some ten, us. If you want some 10 hertz in your mix. Yeah, if you want some 10 hertz. I actually don't even think that thing goes that low. Probably I think not. it stops at, I think it's 63, 45, and 20. It's like some odd increments. Yeah. But it it do be thick. It do be thick. But yeah, so to the listeners, if you have any recommendations ever, we will always be taking recommendations on, hey, go buy or go find this piece of gear and see what you can do with it. Yeah, yeah. we'll try I like it. a Let's good audio it. challenge. I so, think we also had some fun ones where we were talking about, what was it, the different, was it the durability of like those cheap mic stands you bought? Yeah, I just... Not, I mean, not this is the durability, but... But it's like, yeah, I, I use function, like... How well do they You buy up? cheap mic stands and they work well for six months and then you have to like because we both we've done sessions together where we were both like these are my overhead mic stands because if i loosen them it's never going to tighten again so <laughs> yeah. it's just at this angle and this is what we got and then maybe adding some fun to it where yeah. we do have some stands that we're like well then also you know here they are in a practical setting but what if they get thrown off the roof by an ex-girlfriend you never know you, know, or you are in home you are home audio cranky you, live or, sound or guy cranky live sound guy you know, I've thrown mic stands across the stage. You know, what before. if I did something human. at work and so Bob comes storming in here and throws all of his mic stands off the roof into the pool? That would, you, we got to test that. would be that. impressive. Javelin. Got, javelin style. <laughs> javelin style. Yeah. <laughs> mic stand javelins. It was a K&M Blitzkrieg. <laughs> oh, they're German. They're a German company. <laughs> Cancel well part two. Well done. Well done, me. Yeah, so this series is a direct ripoff of an audio podcast I love. There's a podcast called Live Sound Bootcamp. Anyone who has any interest in using a PA system or just learning about that side of audio, I recommend you check it out. It is I've learned so much from it. And it's never some like big picture thing that like unlocks the next door, but it's always just some little thing that some expert knows more about than I do. And it's just like why didn't I ever think of that? But currently in their second season, they're going down the input list of soundcheck and how they like to go about it in the live realm. So, you know, input one is usually your kick in mic. Yeah. So it's like, I did some research and I didn't find anyone doing it on the home recording side of things. Ooh, and I like it. if, you know, good artists borrow and great artists steal, I'm going to... Steal their idea a little bit and make it more about, yes. (laughs) Heroes don't get remembered and legends always die. But I figured we could take what they've given the blueprint for and and do it in our own way where we talk about it for the more, you know, we go back to the blue-collar audio side of things. So, like, people in their basement, like, what, yeah, you can buy that, $200 $200 cheapo brand drum mic kit, but would spending the 400 bucks for the Shure drum mic kit that comes with the weird clamps and the 57s and the Beta 52, like, would that be... I know it's double the price, but are your results going to be... Double better. Double better. <laughs> TM. <laughs> Trademarked. Double Put that better. on a shirt. Double better. So, yeah, today we'll be talking about Recording kick drums in our home recording experience. Wait, kick drum is your first on the input list? Mine is always Tom 3. Tom 3, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I do it randomized. They do a phenomenal do three-episode series on how to make a stage plot and input list and how to pin your stage professionally. Because we That's have awesome. played That's great. some gigs together, not 
in Nick's band, but in other bands where we've watched the sound guy. <sighs> and the one guy pinned the stage, like, front to back, going left to right. So, like, vocal, like, stage right, which is house left vocal, was, like, number one. And then his guitar was number two. So it went front, medium, back, front, medium, back. <laughs> so that. it was like the, the console went like vocal mic, guitar cab, st- overhead, stage, oh or house and then, left. And then, you know, and then, of course, something doesn't work because it's live sound and there's always, always a channel that, that doesn't wrong. work. Yep. But then he can't figure out what it is yeah. because you've got everything crisscrossed like, and... Put your drums... And then also as a performer, too, like a messy stage, it's like if you've got cables going every which way and it's like I'm stumbling over them, it's not yeah. fun. No. Um, same thing in, in the home recording, you know? Make it look nice. What if what if the band wants to take pictures, you know? What if they're... Yeah. What if your artist is like, you know, what if they move around? Well, I don't I don't know exactly how you're recording, but I don't know. Keep it clean. Keep it nice, yeah. you know? Just keep I mean, it safe. Like, if you're doing a drum session that has 20 microphones, it's not going to be... Yeah, the like, most yeah. organized thing. Like, you do your best. Cable management is important, but... I would like you to tell me, though, 20 microphones for a drum kit? Explain this scenario to me. Well, I mean, you figure what? Kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom. A lot of bigger studios who have the inputs double mic their toms, top and oh, bottom. yeah, And then they enough. sum them together. Yeah. You figure... If you have the space, you're probably going to do two overheads. Two overheads. A couple spot room, room mics, some far, far rooms. rooms. Yeah, just to give... Not that you're not going to mix 20 mics at the same oh, time, yeah, but no. you're going to give whoever's yourself or whoever's mixing the record yeah, just some options. Yeah. So, you know, now that I have the inputs, like sometimes I run three kick drum mics. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, I've been trying to recently with a lot of the stuff that I'm working on, trying to cross over into Adam's world of uh, more, I don't know, less processed, should I say? or yeah. or. Getting it right from the source. Yeah, you know, not relying on, you know, samples and overproduction. I still love them. They're great. Um, But, you know, having extra microphones and parallel processing. Yeah. Parallel processing is amazing. Well, that even came down to another philosophy that I picked up from the the Live Sound Bootcamp podcast is that the one guy, the one host, uh, Ryan John, who's a phenomenal live sound engineer, like, look up some of the artists that that guy's mixed their sets on YouTube. It's... It's killer. I think he also helped design the Avid SQ, not SQ, the Avid S6L. Oh. Yeah. And now he works for UA as a product designer. Oh, that's like, awesome. Like dudes. Yeah. Well, that's cool. He's got real world experience to be like, hey, this is what people actually yeah. need. Unlike not- us. Haha. <laughs> uh, but he likes to do something that he calls like EQ on fader. Mm-hmm. So instead of automating EQ, he'll just have like a bright mic for a guitar cab and a dark mic for a guitar cab. Oh, so yeah. if it's a solo, yeah, awesome. he'll just push up the bright one that's a little bit more mid-forward so it pokes out of the mix, and then he doesn't have to automate, like, turn an EQ knob and flip through menus. He can just Oh, yeah, no, I do up. that I do that with guitars, with uh, with my guitar tracking these days, where I'll have a couple different mics, or even if it's a... or different amps, where it's like, all right, I don't want to bother trying to EQ this. I'm just going to, you know, have an extra fader that's got my, you know... My yeah. 214 mic on it, and that's just going to bring in a little bit of extra brightness some or air whatever and some it is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's... I'm at the point now where I can make EQ moves just based off of what the microphone and the mic placement's doing. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I run... Because I have the inputs, I can run three kick drum mics into my Soundcraft and then run that to Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. So I use the 901 for, like, my attack, 
And if I'm recording a mellow part, if it's the, you know, like, if the chorus needs to punch a little more, I won't really have it mixed in in the verse. Yeah. But then instead of automating an EQ to add that attack, I'll just automate that fader up. And yeah, bring. you're just using your microphones as, as dynamic control, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's dynamic EQ or whatever it might be. It's it's a it's creating it an effect. So, yeah, it takes me 25 to 30 minutes longer to pin the drums and make sure everything's in phase, but it saves me 45 minutes of tailoring in a kick drum tone. But I, for the longest time, I didn't have 20... 20 inputs to burn on uh, an interface. I had... Yeah, when you start off, you've got eight. I had, yeah, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to cover more today. Yeah, so what uh, what microphones do we got here? What do we, we got sitting here? Well, let's start earlier in the chain. Let's just start about, like, what type of kick drum tone do you like? Like, what when you're recording... And I know it's artist-dependent. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, what are some things... A- like every good engineer, you know, you're taught to like have an idea in mind of like what they're doing. So just walk me through like if I'm a client and I'm like, I want you to record my band, here's what we're into. Before you even put a mic on the kick drum, like what are you thinking about that drum? And then we'll work our way down, like down the signal chain. I got so you. we'll go from source to mic slash placement, processing. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is obviously is, uh, is the kick drum itself. Yeah. You know, I will always, uh, you know, everyone always says like, oh, it's the player, it's the player, it's the player. And that's super important. But if you're trying to go for, you know, I'm going to make a guitar analogy real quick. If you want to Stratocaster sound, you're not going to get it with a Les Paul. No. It doesn't matter who the player is. So yes. uh, that's the same thing with the kick drum. Assuming is that, the player is genre specific. Yeah. Well, like if, obviously... Danny Carey is a better rock drummer than I am. <laughs> no one would argue that. But yeah, so I, it really depends on, you know, on the kick drum. So obviously all, all kick drums can have different sounds, but you can really get a long ways with just tuning. I feel like a lot of a lot of drummers, they'll tune their drums in a way that like they'll get it to a sound that they like for live. But mm-hmm. as we all know, what that sounds like in the room is yeah. not necessarily what it's going to sound like when it's mic'd up, no matter what the mic is, just because it's yeah. not your ears. I have a bold opinion, and we're going to test this on the YouTube channel and then have an intelligent podcast discussion. I find that most drummers don't tune their drums appropriate for the live scenario that they're in. Oh, I, I think in the studio, you can get away with ringing your drums. Like, ringing your drums on recording are awesome. Yeah. But on a stage where there's constant noise, I prefer more dead drum excusing the fact that over the summer i got really into just the dirty 60s dead drum vibe that was just a you know i I wanted to experience some new flavors and think about the instrument in a different way Mm -hmm. but like as far as like recording rock as our staple middle ground genre like ringy drums are that's what helps poke through the mix a little bit do you like um I personally, I'd think, even if I was going for it, I'd say my only exception of, yeah, if I was going for a completely dead sound, just a thud, um, other than that, I always like fresh heads across yeah. the whole drum kit, if if you can. Now, yeah. you know, when you're starting off, when you're at a, you know, I'm still not with 
all my clients can you know could afford, afford to do yeah. that you know and especially when you know if you're doing if you're doing an al- let's say you're doing an album but you're not doing it over the course of a week or two weeks no. or a month you're doing it over the course of two months where it's a weekend here and a, a weekend, weekend there a Wednesday here yeah. yeah and so one first off you're gonna be micing that kid up different every time, every time you want to yeah. try to you know if you can if you've got good enough if the players are good enough to have their songs down that's why pre-production is so important so mm-hmm. that these people your client comes in knowing what they're playing and can knock it out in four or five takes, yeah. you'd be a lot better off. You know, I think these days most of my guys come in and we could have probably ten songs done in an entire day, easy, yeah. with most of the stuff that I'm, the most stuff that the guys are bringing in. Now if it was a, you know, super proggy or anything really complex, you know, yeah, it's it gonna take longer. longer. Yeah. But I, I prefer new heads. Um and I think yeah. that also then I think that also sets you up for, hey, these are brand new heads. The drummer already knows I'm changing them. You you guys can mess yeah. around with tuning then because I find a lot of times sometimes drummers are a little hesitant to tune their mm-hmm. drum because like well I have it in a place I really like it whereas if you're slapping on a new head anyways then it's you like, have to okay, tune cool, it yeah. you have to tune it I recommend tuning it the night before if like you can get into the room that you're recording and tune it the night before and tune it a little higher tune it down and then rebalance stretch it. the head out yeah we'll call out another. Uh, we'll do a season one flashback. If you need to learn how to tune drums, look up Kenny Sherritt's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I met that guy in person after I had watched his videos. He just happened to be a drum tech on a tour that came through the venue I work in. That guy changed my life. And he's one of the like the coolest cat on the planet. Do you tune to a note or do you tune to what you like want to hear? If I have the opportunity, if there's budget for time, I will tune to notes in the key of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the best at natural pitch, so I bought a tune bot, which is a digital yeah, tuner for the, the drum things. Because then if I find something I like, I have a, a preset. Um, so yeah, if I for studio, if... You have the time, definitely tune it in key of Would the you do song. that for all genres of music? Like, So what if you were doing, you know, let's say... More than likely, yeah. Cause yeah, because yeah, okay. then all of your, you know, because each pitch has a, a fundamental frequency. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if that, I don't know them offhand, but like, you know, if if you're in the key of A, you want a present, you know, tonic or whatever of A at that frequency. I don't yeah. think tonic was the right I think word. A is 440. Right. Yeah. But whatever that is in the low end of the spectrum, you would want that present. So then it kind of, it harmonizes with the bass. I feel you have to do less scooping if you tune the kick yeah. drum in key with the song. Uh, if a drum kit's not in a good enough position, not position, but condition to be tuned, you do have to give up and just kind of settle for whatever the drum's going to give you. Like yeah, I am um, if a big mistake that I feel that I'll, I see a lot of drummers do, myself included when I was younger, is you get a 24-inch kick drum like I have over there and you're like I'm going to get the super deep low end out of it, which when it's going through subwoofers in a live sound scenario, oh, you yeah. can, but 24s are slappier. They're not really clicky. The attack isn't really at that 4 to 10k. It's usually in like two and a half to four mm-hmm. like that's where you get you know but uh yeah you get that solid rock mm. drum sound fresh heads um if you're going for a more modern kick 
sound, definitely some sort of dampening in the drum, mm-hmm. like the Evans EQ pillow, or you know, you can roll or a up a bunch of your mom's sweaters. Yeah, that's what can. I use. <laughs> An old blanket, a pillow. I have a moving blanket that I just kind of folded up and gaff taped together. Yeah. Shout out to my man Kenny on his YouTube. There's you can do a DIY Evans EQ pillow where you just roll up some old tube socks and a T-shirt and gaff it together, and that acts as your kind of muffling. You just want to kill some of the basketball-y sound yeah. that kick drums naturally have. A little bit of ringing if you're going yeah. for that tighter modern sound. Uh, more often than not, I like a port in the drum. Yeah. For a modern drum sound, like obviously if you're trying to be John Bonham, don't port your. Yeah. Uh, placement of the port, I feel, matters. Like, on a 24, I like to port it in the center because it just kind of kills some of that slappiness that's kind of overabundant. And then I can do a mic technique that I'll talk about later where I like to line up. We should definitely, when we uh, do our, our kick drum video, we should definitely yeah. show the difference between yeah. where the, the, the placement of the port is mm-hmm. and how that affects it. Um, general rule of thumb is... Clear drum heads are going to give you more attack in your upper mid range and more bottom end in your, you know, 80 and below. And then a coated head is going to give you a little bit more natural sounding kind of warmth. So it's going to shave off a little bit of the highs and shave off a little bit of the lows, but it'll sound just kind of warmer and more natural. Uh, you know, the material of the drum really matters. We could do an entire series on just the differences of, oh, of yeah. that. Uh, birch is bright and attacky. Maple's a good middle ground. Mahogany is uh, softer and really warm in the low mids. So um, mahogany drums live, I really like a little bit more dead because there's that kind of low mid buildup that you mm-hmm. always fight on a stage. So... But we're talking about home recording in this scenario. Yeah, it still applies. But if you're yeah. doing, you know, local sound, mm-hmm. I think it's very important. I rarely ever tune to a note. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough on a kick drum sometimes. Yeah, 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 it's definitely tough. More, way more tough on a kick drum than a snare or the toms. But I think in regards to the whole thing, I think I don't know. I would more so do it if it were jazz or an acoustic performance where you're gonna hear more of the drum and its fundamental frequencies and resonances. Whereas in a rock mix and a metal mix and those denser mm. mixes, I do. I, when we get to our our reference point, our our, our notes here on our songs mm. that we like with kick drums, uh, one of the reasons I like one of my picks is I do like though in rock and metal mixes. I do like when you can hear the actual drum. There has been this trend that I still like, but where it's like only attack. Yeah. It's just attack across all drums, and it's like it's great. And I think it again. Song dependent. I've yeah. got a song on here that's that's like that. It's the most just clicky, perfect drum ever for this genre, mm-hmm. and I think it's perfect. But I find that that has bled across into all different types of rock and metal music. Yeah, and I like more when you can still hear a nice balance of the ringing of the drum, mm-hmm. but with a nice attack and punch to it. Yeah, um, and I think so much of that comes from tuning. So much of that mm-hmm. comes from from tuning the drum. I mean, you could have, you know, I mean, there, we got a lot of different mics here that we could talk about. Yeah, um, those will all kind of aid in that but again yeah. it always starts at the drum um should we talk about the cinder block trick <laughs> the one that well we're definitely going to test it oh are we oh, oh yeah, we at some point okay. we have to we've talked a, enough trash yeah. on it well I it heard- works though i dude i swear because the first time i heard it I, for the first time it was shown to me i was like this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen but i was like it sounds really good though and uh, you know I put a sandbag in the 24 yeah, once because Kenny told me to do incubus. So essentially, 
essentially what the cinder block... So you take the front head off the drum, and you... Which will kill some of your note, and it will give you a dead drum vibe. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. So if that's what you're going for, proceed. Yeah, so you take the front head off, uh, the resonant head, and you put a cinder block in the, the kick drum. And what I was told is it's essentially tightening the wood it's because the weight is pressed compressing, compressing the shell yeah the shell it's tightening it and it's supposed to, what is it even supposed to do i i never understood what really like i get some of the science behind it i was tightening the wood okay is it supposed to make a tighter sound that would be my guess because uh kenny told me that incubus's drum tech hipped him to putting a sandbag inside of a 24 inch kick drum to kind of kill some of that basketball-y sound because mm. they're really present in a 24 and a yeah. 26 because they're just slappy like the drum is too big to recreate the tight low end like you can get there it's just gonna take yeah it's gonna some take dampening mm-hmm. and i tried it and it it was cool it added just a thickness to it that yeah, was i'm excited I, but you know every time it was done when i when i when i was shown that trick i was just like this is so ridiculous but then it ended up sounding great and i'm and i want to know I would be excited to test, like... Maybe it also diffuses some of yeah. the sound that's bouncing around between the heads? Yeah, I don't know. That I mean, we're not going to get, obviously, like, incredibly scientific with it, but we can at least hear it and be yeah. like, yeah, that does sound really good. Now, yeah, I really want to hear the difference between not doing the cinder block, putting the cinder block in there, maybe something that's a different weight, because yeah. they should definitely do that. We'll weigh the cinder block that we get. See how much it weighs and see... Weigh a sandbag to be the same weight. Yeah, and yeah. see, like, is there a difference? I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a difference yeah. between the material because of the density of it, but I'm excited. That's yeah. going to be really fun. Um, overlooked a lot is the, the beater itself. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah for sure. This part, for anyone watching, not hipped to uh, drum... I have a kick drum pedal on the table for those listening. Uh, there's a lot of different materials. There's usually... This is a round felt beater, which is kind of soft, and it's good for your... You know, your classic rocks and your blues and stuff. But, you know, if you're going for metal, um, probably plastic is very clicky. I like wood beaters because then it's the same sonic characteristic as the tip of a drumstick. So mm. I feel it just helps kind of, like, you get the the knock and the punch that you do out of a plastic beater, but it's not as just, it's not as clicky, um, which you can all, and uh, I'll, backtrack a little bit you can always eq the click in but it's hard to eq the attack out yeah um but i like if i'm going for a punchier rock or metal thing i still prefer the wood beater because it kind of punches more than it clicks um yeah and it like so but if i were using nylon tips i would then probably use plastic uh, beaters because it just how expensive are beaters? So can it can it is it is it within the realm of home audio? Is it a uh, an affordable thing that a studio engineer could have? Could buy some extra beaters for, even if he doesn't have a drum kit. They're you know uh, they range from probably twenty to fifty bucks. A yeah, so within so. the realm of audio, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, if you're a home recording guy, get one good. I would recommend a maple drum kit with your kind of, you know, standard recording sizes and then get a couple different types of drum heads. And then, you know, your drum heads are going to, and tuning are going to impact your drum sound a lot more than, you know, buying five or six different drum kits. Like if you just, if you know how to tune them or have a friend who knows how to tune them, like you can get pretty far. Like you can't change your cymbal sound. 
Yeah, like your no, symbol, like so. Your symbols are your symbols. I mean, they can change based on how you hit it, but that yeah. that's when then that definitely is affected by your player and so, how they hit the symbols. Yeah, between my two drum kits that I have now, excluding auxiliary snares and stuff that I've bought, you I can never own too many snares. I'll I've say that. Bought them used, and I've spent I don't know, probably nine hundred and fifty bucks on both of my kits that I have. I have like twenty five hundred dollars worth of symbols, like. Yeah, I can't change. I know this is a tangent from the kick drum episode, but drums, and specifically the kick drum, give you a lot of leeway where it doesn't need to be perfect. You can get close, and if you have to process it later or tuck in a sample if you're like completely screwed. Yeah, if you need, I, if you're just like fine. I can't get the tone that I need yeah. out of it, it's just not gonna happen. Guy's not, you know, he's in a metal band, but he brought, you know, round felt beaters. <laughs> like you're gonna have to tuck in a yeah. sample so yeah like you don't need you know the perfect metal drum kit like you just need a good five piece kit yeah. and yeah have some extra beaters laying around the studio you don't need to own your own pedals like make the drummer the drummer's gonna want to use his own pedals yeah. anyway but yeah have a couple beaters lying around and it's just a smart thing that can immediately change the sound of the kick drum like you know if you're doing a you know, a soft folk thing, and the guy only has a plastic beater. Yeah, it's going to be, be tough. I don't know. Go to the dollar store, get a tennis ball, and yeah. cut it open and slide it over. Experiment a little. We should. Uh, we should also throw in a uh, a gag when we te- if we test out the beaters too. When we do this, get like a uh, rubber ducky toy, jam it on the beater, <laughs> smack that into the kick drum a couple times. Have you seen the guy on YouTube who replaces his kick drum beaters with like the rubber chickens? No. Uh, oh, wait, I might have seen that. He did a lot of Meshuggah gags back in you the know, day. You know, I think I saw yeah. that. I think I saw that guy at Hershey Park once. Did he have the rubber I, chickens with him? I, he did not, but oh, I was important. too embarrassed to ask. I love the guy that does the uh, the covers of like Slipknot and other songs where he uses the, the rifles. Oh, yeah. He does like the kick drum That guy's cool. That stuff's hilarious. He got to the point where he got to fire a tank. Yeah. I'm jealous. That is awesome. If someone came up to me and they're like, you want to shoot a missile out of a tank? Like, and I would be like, uh, yes, is it at a human? And I'd be <laughs> like, no. And I'd be like, absolutely. <laughs> it's at a city. <laughs> it's, it's well, at it's several. not a human. <laughs> it's at the city. <laughs> yeah, That's I'll avoid. villain start. <laughs> it is. Uh, don't shoot projectiles at other human beings, please. Or cities. Yeah. Any place where a human being could be, don't. Old refrigerator in your backyard, go for it. Boom. May, you know, record it. Put it under yeah, your kick drum sample. sample. Yeah. <laughs> it's you that need kick drum you sample need attack. Is explosive. You need more attack. <laughs> uh, Might all be right, fun. so after after the gear or after the the drum itself, I guess we have microphone mics and placements, right? and I have an assortment of microphones that assortment people of can't see. Choose from. So, what's your like go to? I'm going to use this mic first. Oh, my go-to? I'm going to use this mic first? Yeah. These days, I've actually been rocking the D112 a lot. That's kind of... I. If you would have asked me six months ago or a year ago, I would have said the D6. Same. Um, the Audix D6. And I still love that, but I definitely... That does just have a, a presence boost to it, an attack boost yeah. that is great for rock and metal, but... Like hard rock. Yeah. Not, um, your, not Foo Fighters rock, but like... yeah. I like yeah, I don't know what a band to call, but um, but I just I really like the D112 because I feel like 
depending on the placement, if you decide that you do want some click out of it, you can get that through mic placement and even, you know, an EQ. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's that's another important thing to consider is I think there is a balance to be had between getting it right at the source. Yeah. But also you get to a point when you know your mics, you know maybe the band that you're working with, or or you just have enough experience um, where you know what you can get out of a certain source tone. Yeah. You know, okay, I might not have been able to get the exact click that I want out of this kick drum with just the microphone itself, mm-hmm. but I know that this microphone and this setup will allow me when I pull up my SSL E channel or whatever it is that when I boost 10K, it it does that thing that yeah. I want to do. And so that's what I love about the the D112 right now is yeah. if I want thumpy, I can get thumpy. If I want clicky, I can mm-hmm. get clicky. Um, one thing I just like the way it looks too. It's, it's such a weird looking yeah. microphone. <laughs> Before we continue this, I'll, I'll add a side tangent. Uh, if your kick drum tone is suffering and you think you have the right beater for the tone you're going for, check and see if the drummer is burying the beater in the drum head where after they press down to do the hit, they don't release it. Because if they keep it in, if they're trying, if they're basically kicking the pedal through the drum head, it's going to choke out the drum. Yeah, it won't allow the head to resonate. Yeah. Um, So that's anyone listening or drummers like, make sure you're at least coming off the head a little bit. Like, you don't have to go super far back, but just... Stop sucking. Yeah. That's what he said. Play better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's an easy thing as a drummer. You know, it'll feel weird. If you consciously go into it, it'll feel weird for a week, and then you'll be kind of clunky with it for a month or so. And then I feel like that's a really good point to make overall, is that most of us audio engineers are also musicians. Yeah, I really don't know if I... I've only ever met, like, one or two that don't play an instrument at all. I Yeah, it's... Um, audio people who aren't musicians or even really like even active gigging musicians yeah. is just strange to me. It's strange to me. I'm not yeah. saying it can't happen, but yeah, yeah I don't no know. No offense to anyone. But even if you don't play that instrument, learn about the techniques. You know, I can play a little bit of drum. I could play a little bit of stuff. Now, if you were to tell me if I were to be asked about techniques for like oboe, all right, you got yeah. me there. I could not tell you. I can't play that. But yeah. learn about the different techniques. You know, learn what it means when I say, if I were to tell a drummer, hey, I want you to do a rim shot on the chorus there, yeah. you know, or like Adam said, you know, you're burying the kick, you know, just because you can't play it, it doesn't mean that you can't learn about it yeah. and know how the different techniques work, you know, if they're just smashing the heck out of the cymbals and they're not, you know, Hit, yeah. hitting it properly, you know, learn about that, learn, watch some videos on drum techniques, or watch some videos on, if you're not a, if you're a drummer, if you're not a guitar yeah. player, learn about how different picks, different attack, different techniques can create different sounds. Same thing with bass players, yeah. vocalists. Learn about this stuff because you, as an engineer, engineer, you're most likely also a, a producer at yeah. the same time. And so being able to give guidance to your musicians yeah. is so, so important. And coming at it from a very, like, knowledgeable, like, you know, I'm not critiquing you. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if you're aware that you do this, but, you know. Yeah, and always just... you oh, beating the shit out of the hi-hat. Yeah. And it's in everything. Where it's just like breaking news, that, and this is a, a something that was brought to my attention, I think through the Live Sound Bootcamp podcast, is that the one guy said, if you think about it, the hi-hat's the most played instrument on stage. Yeah. Like note for note. If you're a drummer and you're just smashing the hi-hat, like your whole drum, like your drum recordings could be perfectly in phase, but like, and you know, you don't go on the talk back and be like, stop 
beating the shit out of the hi-hat, you fucking Neanderthal. Like, <laughs> I, I like, know a few engineers who would do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Just be like, hey, buddy, um, the notes are there, but they're, the hi-hat's just in everything. Like, you know, can you, if you think you're playing it at like a seven, can you play that at like a four? Yeah, and you, yeah, you know, unless, I mean, obviously, unless they're doing something that's like, I, I don't even know what the scenario would be, but always just bring it up as a suggestion for what's best for the recording. You yeah, know, it doesn't have to never, be about like, hey, your technique sucks, but it's just like, hey, for this song, I think what we want to get out of this is that is X, Y, or Z. So what I would, what I think would work is if you pulled back on the hi hat a little bit, you know, yeah. hey, you know, I think for this song, what's happening is you know the symbols are really overtaking everything. Yeah. Don't make it necessarily about them. I think that's the key yeah. thing. Always, whenever you're giving advice, I think it's really important just because as human beings, our yeah. egos are very fragile, yeah. is it's, make it about the song. Make it about the recording and say, hey, I think what would be better for this song is this. Yeah. Especially people that we're recording where they're not, you know, the go-to professional guys. Like, they're, you know, they're probably just as nervous, if not more, than us. So you don't want to approach it in a way where you're confrontational. You don't want to destroy them. You just be yeah. like, hey, um, loving what you're playing, but the kick drum sounds a little choked. Are you pushing the beater through the head or are you releasing it a little bit? Like, yeah. on this... Because... Even as a drummer, like, if I'll still bury the beater out of muscle memory. Like, I haven't shaken it yet, and I've been trying to do that for two years. But at least I'm aware of it where I can be like, oh, I did that once. Uh, more than likely, if that kick hit sounds bad, I'll just slide another recorded one over where it's not buried. Yeah, and a lot of times the musicians don't even know they're doing something. You yeah. Know, because like Adam said, you know, it's... Film yourself, too. Like, I've picked oh, up yeah. on a lot of bad... Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how low I had my snare. Mm-hmm. And I know we're talking about kick drums, but like I, I filmed myself play a set once, um, and I was like, "Oh, gee, like I'm having to like really push the stick down." Whereas like if I just raised it up and I spent two weeks being kind of uncomfortable with it, like I could get a better rim shot. Like, but yeah, I digress. We'll go back to <laughs> we'll go back to kick drums here. So much fun stuff to talk about. So I, I like the D one twelve. It sounded like you said that yours was about the same pick. I've come around to it. I, you know, when it's easy to get a good kick drum sound out of the D six, oh, which yeah. is weird to say why it's not my go to, but I don't like to cut frequencies if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. No, I, um, I agree with that. I like especially that. in key areas. Uh, I feel that anything I'm going to scoop out of the D one twelve isn't really that usable in a kick drum anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that three to 400 hertz thing, which I know it's clickbaity to be like, these are the evil frequencies that are ruining your kick drum sound. But it's like, if we think about it, and the guy for Cush Audio went on this kind of tangent once where he's just like, there's 400 hertz in everything. Oh, yeah. Like, if I'm mixing live and I have a muddy female vocal, it's usually 400 hertz. Uh, and that's because our voices and our ears are sensitive to mid-range because that's where the human voice sits. So if, you know, I'm talking to Phoenix from four feet apart. Our ears are tuned into those frequencies because that's how we communicate. Yeah, or if I say, you know, like, let's take a break from this podcast. We go outside, I take a walk through the woods, and I get mauled by a bear, like, and I scream for help up, you know. Was that a thousand hertz that I just heard? Far up the hill. He's going to hear it because my shriek's going to be in the 1K range. So Now, what I'm trying to do, though, is trying to tune my ears to 10, 10 hertz. 10 yes. Hertz. Uh, so you don't, while 400 hertz is probably muddying up your kick drum a little bit or 300 or anything in that kind of range, tuning and playing. You also and, don't want to just completely yank it out. Yeah. like Don't get into that habit. When you kick, when a drummer kicks a kick drum and with rock as our standard, you're going to be recording it at, you know, it's going to be, what, around 100 decibels? 
Yeah. So you don't need 100 decibels of 400 in your kick drum, but you definitely need like 80. Yeah. Um, so that's a good kind of more, a more neutral I, mindset when it comes to like EQ. But like I'm going to find that I will do now again, I don't want to say anything as if it's like a, this is a rule to file, but I do find that I have no problem with extreme boosts, but I never extreme cut. Yeah. You know like I, I you know I might take a narrow I say narrow and I, I not a I'll take a not a wide band of EQ and I will I'll, I'll jack it up 10 dB if if yeah. I need to and it I've got no problem with it. But I find when you start removing stuff like that, yeah. I will be a lot more subtle with my removal of frequencies because, like you said, it's it's just a buildup of that. You still want that frequency there. That is still fundamental yeah. to the sound of that instrument. But if you just start ripping things out, that's yeah. when you start to, to mess yourself up. And I do more aggressive cuts live, I'll say. Yeah, but that's because that, you have that, to my, take stage volume into yeah. account. So, I'm more, I was more so speaking in, in yeah. uh, studio. Um. Audix D6, for anyone not familiar, I have the silver one because it's on the black sale. One. Um, there is a massive tonal difference. Yes. Actually, we should test that. We should, yeah. They claim there isn't, but um, I don't know. They also make D6 mugs. Do they really? Yeah, they're like not that expensive. I like it. Yeah. Um, I love it, but it's such a drum-tailored microphone that I love it live because all that I really have to do is take out that kind of 400 range. Um, and I go more aggressively live, but that's because I have to get the PA louder than the stage. So, mm-hmm. but this is a recording podcast. Uh, I feel that unless I need that super aggressive kick drum sound, I have to then EQ out the boost that's already kind of wired into yeah. this microphone, which I don't like to do. Whereas with... I feel like I feel like whenever I've done that in, in the studio, I feel like it takes away that... Yeah, that that unexplainable thing, you know, that where it's like, well, it's not necessarily just the frequency; it's that magic, and the magic of that microphone is that aggressive boost that it has in the yeah. in the upper upper ranges. Mm-hmm. And then if you try to dial that back, yeah, you get rid of that frequency, but then just the character of that microphone just kinda... yeah, you're killing what it does. I mean, if it's your own, like, if I had to tell anyone if they're getting into home recording, they're like, what's the best kick drum mic I could buy? I would say if you're into heavier stuff, get a D6. Mm-hmm. If you need just an all around kick mic the D112, if I could do it over again, I would probably have bought the Sennheiser 602 over the Beta 52. Yeah. Um, But that's just... Hell, I mean, (laughs) I'll also say... 57, man. If you got a 57, I think the first time I ever recorded a record was with a 57. I mean, because it's just... It is so just... It captures it. It captures it, and it's like, you know... You can find tricky ways to to get the kick drum sound that you want. You know, yeah. is it gonna be perfect? Is it gonna take you a little bit? Yeah, but you know, uh, dude, I we should do that. We should do. I think we should do a video where we take all of our fifty sevens and record a, a drum kit with all fifty sevens. Yeah, and we've seen that. Yeah, someone, one of our instructors in school showed us like, if you have six SM fifty sevens, you can do a drum session, and it'll sound yeah, I remember pretty he good. Beat the hell out of everything else that, that well, all the stuff that we did because we didn't know anything at the yeah. time. And he was like, "Now let me show you something." And he pulled out all fifty sevens and got a much better drum sound than Kick any in, of us students snare did. Top two toms, two overheads, all fifty yeah. sevens blew all of us out of the water. <laughs> Except for maybe is my ego coming out when I pulled out that uh, four mic Glenn Johns technique. That wasn't the same day, was it? I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, so kick 
and we're assuming that we're going kick in on this with a port. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. That's so when you go kick in, what's your kind of? General... I don't even use a mic stand. I just <laughs> I just pin it and throw it in the kick trunk now. I see um, that happen live. I will generally. I'd say my rule of thumb is I generally try to. I don't know with something like. I try to get like the grill, whatever the grill of the microphone is. Like if we've got you know, yeah. the D112 or the, the D6. I try to get that within the port inside the kick yeah, drum. I try to get the port of the resonant drum head. I try to get the the diaphragm or capsule, whatever you prefer, yeah. of the drum head uh, or of the microphone <laughs> just before the port of the resonant head on the inside of the drum. Yeah, and I'll try to aim it so that, you know, if you could see the center of the diaphragm of it, I'd have it aiming at where the, the beaters would be hitting on the other side of the... So basically the center of the drum. Yeah, the center of the drum, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of my go-to. Yeah, uh, if you only have a D6 and you don't want the click, I would not aim it at yeah. the beater. Yeah, and that, that's that's a really good point, that if you do have the D6, you I, could get rid of that by just pointing it in a different I, place. Because we did the live at the shop with Nick, and my only options were the Beta 52, which I am notoriously not a fan of mm. uh there are other people who swear by it that it's the best kick drum mic ever the way i approach kick drum i can't get it to work for me like i can it i can plug I've it never liked it i can plug it in and get sound out of it but i never get the sound that i, I just thought of on. another good trick with the d6 but it's like if you're trying to avoid the clickiness of it and what if it is a ported drum don't put it in the port put it on the outside just use it as like a kick, kick out, out mic yeah. or just, if you've only got one drum mic don't put, you know find different ways take as you learn I think that's yeah. a really good thing. As you learn how different sounds work, you know, knowing that, okay, if I point it at the beaters, I'm going to get a brighter sound. If I point it here, yeah. you know, and then saying, then if you've got, if you're limited in your tools, think about how sound works. Think about how that yeah. thing works. And maybe you don't mic it in the, the in typical the way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would point it kind of, assuming most drummers kind of point or uh, port their drum at, call it the, you know, four o'clock or six o'clock position. If you're looking at the drum head, mm -hmm. I will point it. If you know, if it's at the four o'clock position, I will point it at the beater heads like six o'clock position. So just kind of, you know, across the center of the drum. Yeah. And with the D six, that'll really soften up the click because it's so present. Like when we recorded with Nick live at the shop, mm -hmm. options were D six, Beta fifty two. I know my one kick drum doesn't like the Beta 52 at all. It doesn't sound like a kick drum. It just sounds like a knock. <laughs> I don't know if it's... So you've got another microphone sitting here that I have never heard on kick drum before. Okay. What does the 421 sound like on the kick? Uh, I haven't done that before. Color and the Shape by Foo Fighters. Oh, really? Yeah, so Everlong, uh, okay. 421 inside, FET 47 style oh, nice. mic outside. I love, yeah, I love, the FET, I love the 47 on the outside of the kick. Yeah, uh, the warm audio one is great. Um, some people on the internet, it's not great for super loud stuff. It, it can't really handle, like, full throttle the SPL. Okay. But this nifty little trick is, is why I put the pencil in front of it. So, so it's an old pop. not visual, he's got a pencil rubber banded to the front of the grill where the diaphragm is. Yeah, so that way just the air pressure that the capsule... I've never experienced it clip that bad, mm -hmm. but I've read it, so I was like, well, I can definitely just be preventative. Yeah. So, yeah, it literally just kind of, you know, pushes the airwaves to the side so the capsule can record the drum. And any, really any condenser mic that I'm using on a drum kit close up, I try to do that with. So if I'm using condensers on toms or whatnot. 
Yeah, I, so I think uh, overall, it's a free I, hack. Everyone's got to. No a matter pencil. what kick drum mic you have, like like we stated earlier, it's like if you've got just a fifty-seven, <laughs> you know, learn a lot about audio. I mean, one of the biggest things that you can do, but fifty-seven is not going to give you a ton of low end proximity effect. Get closer, you yeah. know, you know, or think about that, or you can go farther if you want to get a roomier sound because yeah. you know bass frequencies take longer to travel. All kinds of things. Think about all the different principles of your sound source. Yeah. Um, and you can you can get somewhere. You can get somewhere with it. I would like to test a thing where I measure the diaphragm of the kick drum away from the beater mm-hmm. at the distance that the uh like resonant or not resonant, uh the, the fundamental pitch on the low end of the kick drum sits. Okay. So if 80 hertz takes, like, what? They say, like, 9 feet. Or not 9. Like, to fully form. Yeah, to fully form. Like, whatever that is divided into... Like, the approach... Like the I, dis- I know what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And try to I'm get, not articulating Put the microphone at that point where that frequency will be at its most prevalent. Yeah. In the space. Yeah. yeah that's cool. real nerdy, but yeah, it, it could be fun nerdy. to test. Um, and it would be like, it still sounds like a kick drum. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and if you... A common problem with starting to record drums is inputs. Because you have eight, yeah. Call it eight. So you know, uh, a live sound trick that I do for kick drum. If I only have one microphone, is I will duplicate the channel on the console. So if you're recording into a DAW, which I assume people are, uh, just duplicate your kick channel, and then one can be your low end mm-hmm. of the kick drum, and the other your duplicate channel will be the high end, and you can uh, compress the ever living hell out of it. Yeah, you can you know you can EQ them different and then just route them to a single bus. So then you yeah. have more control over the attack or you know, I I have the luxury to run three kick drum mics now. So I have the Sennheiser nine hundred one boundary on my inside and that's my attack. And so like I said, if I need a section that needs more click, I just automate there that fader up. Uh, my new jam. I apologize about my dogs barking in the background. They're they're very passionate about kick drum miking, and they have very different approaches than Phoenix and I do. <laughs> my new jam is lining up the because di- I'm running three kick mics for rock stuff. Is I'll put the D112 pointing at the beater right out on the the D112. I don't like it inside the drum. I like it just outside of the porthole. Okay, I will say that inside it works, but it gets a little too basketbally. Yeah. And with a 24, they naturally sound basketball-y, so basketball plus basketball doesn't equal great kick drum tone. Got a gymnasium. Uh, <laughs> I will never forget one time I was, I was like, when we were in school together, and I was doing like a mix, and Adam walks into the, the, into the control room, and I, I think I had been soloing my kick drum, or it was just very prevalent in the mix, and Adam goes, sounds like a gymnasium in here. <laughs> he had a very basketball-y kick drum, I take it. It was great. <laughs> There's apparently at ASP just a whole list of Adam one-liners that he said adam being me uh, <laughs> that he on, has said you mean you yeah uh that i have said on the gig that i don't remember saying that people just throw them around as quotes so yeah, you've got I, some good ones. i'm a very quotable guy with very minimal influence but <laughs> double better if we think about you know miking a, a guitar cab where they make those uh mic clips where you can put the uh the two you know your royer 121 and your 57 in line and line up the diaphragms I know the spot on the kick drum that I like, so I will put the D112 right in the center of the port, pointing at the beater, and then I will use this FET 47, which captures the more 
body and natural resonance and warmth of the drum in the same spot. So then they're in phase. So then I just have to get them in phase with my inside 901. And then I have my overall kick drum sound through the D112 and the FET 47. And then whenever I just need the punch, I just automate in that one. I dig it. Yeah. So that's cool. I forgot I had this mic, which is an SE Electronics X1D. They don't make it anymore, but it's got an aluminum. Does it come dented like that? or No, that was me. I put it in a rack tom and just... (laughs) The grill bends easily, dents easily, but it still works. I haven't used it in forever. I remember, yeah, we used a lot of the SE stuff back in the beginning. Yeah, because when I bought my two overheads, this came came free with it, and I was like, well, I need a kick drum mic, so... You know, SE makes some really good stuff. Yeah, I love them. They're... They're one of my preferred companies. I'll buy microphones and be like, I should have just spent the extra 20 bucks and gotten the SE. <laughs> should have done that. Should have done no it. No plug. Cool. Uh-huh. Do you want to get to the playlist of this week? Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about kick drums? I love them. Um, yeah. I mean, it's the e- it's. it's one of the more simple instruments to get a pretty good sound yeah. out of, I would feel. Like, as long as you're not clipping on the way in like yeah you have any i guess we should talk about processing kick drums a little bit i mean we hinted at it but you know let's do you okay um just take me through your kick routing what do you what do you do oh my god so i don't know i generally i'll probably get a little bit of saturation Mm -hmm. um so whether that's through my analog pre's that i have or some type of emulation just to get a little bit of just uh, that that mojo. It limits feel. it a little bit, which yeah. is kind of cool. And um, and then I'll I'll generally I generally compress first, unless my compressor is not picking up and act and compressing the way I want it to. Then maybe I'll EQ before to get it to start triggering a certain way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I generally don't compress my kicks too hard. Um, and if I nah. and when I do, I generally most of the the compressors that I use have a mix knob on them already, which yeah, is nice. So I'll do it in parallel. Just dial it um, back, yeah. Because I'm trying to more so, I don't know. I think some. I think it depends. It depends on the mix. Sometimes I'm trying to use the compression to get more of a tonal change out mm-hmm. of it. I'm not using it to manage peaks. Right. It's more so using compression as a as a tonal shaping thing. Sometimes I will compress uh, just because there is so much low end that I'm just gonna. I'm not even gonna bother with multi band to start off with. Yeah. I'm just. I know that there's so much boominess to this kick drum. I want it tighter, so I'm gonna yeah. compress the whole signal. Um, and then I'll use the mix knob as that tonal balance because there is something, no matter how little you compress a kick drum, it does yeah. lose something as soon as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use that mix knob. Then I'll, and I'll run EQ. Um, I am just a big fan of the SSL E-channel on kick. I Just tightens it up. SSL I, tightens up. I don't everything. use, actually, I don't use the SSL channel E on any of my other drums. I use all different stuff. Hmm. But on the kick drum, I just, that's still my favorite. Um, that just something about the 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 10k boost on that for yeah. the kick drums just sound great, um, and like the 60 hertz boost, um, yeah. With the black knob is just I like it. I think it's just nice. It does sound kick. I'll typically run mine. Um, you know, I have my three inputs or two inputs or one input, whatever I'm doing. Uh, if I only have one kick input, I'm definitely going to duplicate it and do a a high low kind of. EQ on faders, if you will. Yeah. Um, but then I will route them both to a mono kick bus. Mm-hmm. So I will cl- I will do my cleanup EQ on the individual channels. 
So it's the same layout as I would live. Um, you know, shave off some of the high end because you just don't necessarily need it. And, you know, you don't really need 16K in a yeah. kick drum. So, you know. Yeah, I always do it. Do you, uh, I, dude, actually recently, I haven't even been high passing my kick drum. I have found that I just don't bother. I don't bother doing I'll it. I'll do it on the bus if I have to. Yeah, I think I end up just high passing my master bus. Yeah. And I will only go up to I think it my I think it's just my setup and the way that I listen and what I've got going on is that I find that I get my sub my sub yeah. frequencies a lot more in line if I don't high pass my kick. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I generally like my kick being the lowest frequency. Um, okay. Depend in rock in rock and metal. Gotcha. I like that. Um, and then I'll have my bass sit right above it. I've been on a because I like that. I like that the pulsy feeling of the sub that you Going don't the get from drum. the bass, yeah. but you get it from the kick. So if you've got like you know you're gonna get. I like that feeling. Whereas you know if it's a more singer songwriter vibe or more subdued thing, then maybe my bass will be lower because I want it to be a more gentle pushing and pulling. Yeah, I mean it's really song sub. Jack, song dependent yeah. for me. Um, so yeah, I'll do my cleanup where I'm sucking out some of that 400E range or anything that's kind of weird. And then I will route it to a mono bus where I will do kind of my boosts. So then I'll treat all of my mics kind of as one. So, yeah. you know, add a little 60 or 80 or 100 depending on where the bass is and how low and thick the guitars are. And then, you know, I'll add 2 to 10K depending on tuning and size of drum and what all's there and then I'll, I'll compress them all as one signal mm-hmm. um, I feel that if you compress them individually and then send them to a bus where you're doing more compression it like there's a weird phase so shift there's a weird yeah. phase shift that happens so yeah even if I'm gonna um, and I'm not doing like aggressive cutting on it mm-hmm. on the individual channels it's like maybe 4 to 6 dB yeah. of like literally just like you know, I don't need the of four or five hundred hertz in my outside kick mic because it's just it's kind of muddy and you know not what a kick drum really kind of naturally sounds like. So it's just a little nudge to keep that down and yeah, and then I'll compress it. Usually slow attack, fast relief, so I can get some more like yeah. uh, sustain and life of the kick drum. That's about it. Route it to a drum it's... bus. It's a lot of different processing involved in this, but I find that I'm also getting some more of my resonant tone of my kick drum. So, like, uh, with a lot of stuff I've been mixing lately, with the direct mic, I will definitely do a lot more of the aggressive processing where, mm. you know, more maybe a little more aggressive compression, more aggressive EQ to really get the the attack and just the punch. Mm-hmm. But then I'll get some of that more... I like to... I don't want just a clicky, like attack-filled kick right, drum. I right. want to hear a little more body to it, and I'll get that out of the room mic. Yeah, um, you know, uh, getting the room mic to. I used to high pass it pretty far, where it almost got rid of yeah. the kick. Where now is like, okay, maybe I won't aggressively boost the low end on my direct mic because I'm going to take, some, I'm going to get that from my room mic and allow yeah. that kick tone from the room to kind of come through, and it makes it sound just a little more natural. It makes it sound yeah. like an actual kick drum would in a room instead of just that sound. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about it, what, six to seven episodes from now, but, like, I, in most... If the show's still going, yeah, we might we, have season two redux. <laughs> we, we won't be speaking by the end of uh, next Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, in, I have, you know, small ceilings in here, uh, and I had 
not small, but low ceilings. And I had low ceilings in the other house too, where there's some phasey slappiness going on in my overhead. So I will have some of my room mics hotter than my overheads just to get a more like, when's the last time you or me or someone as a listener has listened to a drum kit from three inches away when they're hitting a tom (laughs) or like no one's on a ladder just like on the top of a ladder with their head tilted over a drum set (laughs) while the drummer's playing so like approaching especially if you only have eight inputs like think about it like where do you usually hear the drums from like get Mm -hmm. get your rooms involved run a mono overhead run two stereo room mics or something yeah. I love, love, love room mics. Um, it's so important to the tone of yeah. your, your drums. So yeah, I try to get my like my natural sound from the kick out blended in with the rooms. They're not bust together. They're mm-hmm. processed separately. But you know, everything th- is then going to a uh, a drum group and then a, a metal group, which are cymbals and rooms and stuff. Um, sometimes I will run my kick and snare to a parallel mono group as well, just so they're, if they're the forward thing in the song and they need to be driving together, mm-hmm. they'll have the same compression and... Yeah, kind of glues um, them together to get yeah. a similar feel going. But yeah, I mean, that's really about it, about kick drums. Um, I used to run, you know, uh, we said it in the last episode, but like, you know, when we both started mixing, we probably both had our kick drum as the lead singer of the song. Like, it, it's kick up yeah. front. Because uh, it's just... It's hard to screw up a kick drum. Yeah, you're like, like it sounds you so put good. the smiley yeah. face EQ on it, and you got a kick drum. Mm-hmm. There's and especially when you're starting off too, you probably don't have a listening. Si- your referencing system yeah. probably doesn't have a lot of low end in it. You know, yeah. so you're gonna be like, oh, I can't. Well, I'm not getting that thump that I want. And then you go check it in your car, and you're like, oh, ten hertz. 10 hertz yeah. <laughs> I need a new transmission. I just <laughs> blew my car up. So what are uh, what are some of your favorite kicks? You know what they are for uh, this week's playlist. We're going with a playlist Sweet. of kicks that we like. Kick drum sounds that we dig. All right, uh, my first pick. We'll alternate. We'll go back and forth. I was do, I was just thinking. All I was right, like, we alternate it. Sweet. Uh, you know I love it. Uh, Stranded by Gojira. Yeah. I, I test my live sound rigs with it. It's just got a good. It's subby. It's kind of clicky, but I would say it's more slappy, and it just has a good push to it. Mm-hmm. So I just, for a metal, modern metal kick drum sound, I I dig. Hell yeah! Uh, if we are, to, if we're, gonna, <laughs> this song will be on the list for every single piece <laughs> of the drum kit that we bring up. I have some of those, um, but uh, this whole record, but the. Uh, the, the song, the first song on the record that, that features the drums, uh, Cubensis, I think that's how you say it, Cubanesis, I don't know, by Intronaut. The Cubanesis Crisis? I'm familiar. <laughs> the Cubanesis Crisis, but Cubensis. Cuban-Nissan um, Crisis. <laughs> Your Cuban- kick drums don't sound good <laughs> if you reference them in a Nissan in Cuba. <laughs> that is the, the Slate. Cuban-Nissan Slate, get on that. I want you to reference the speakers of a Nissan. <laughs> in Cuba. The humidity Cuba. plays a factor. But that's, this, is, uh, this is my favorite <laughs> kick drum sound right now. My favorite drum tones right now. Uh, I just think I actually I don't know who mixed that record I know who played on that record I know it's Alex Rudinger from my hometown that guy uh, makes me want to quit drums great, every great time drum. I watch him uh, but I know he played on that and the, I love the drum tones because they are punchy they are snappy but it sounds like real drums mm-hmm. it, or it, it sounds like not I don't want to say real drums because you know you can do samples and it's still they're still real drums but it is the closest I think in a metal mix right now 
to how drums actually sound. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, some of these other ones on my lists are more specific, you know, yeah. oriented for that that song. But this, I just think there's a warmness to the drums. Uh, the kick drum is punchy. It has a click to it, so there is a presence to it. You hear it. It's not just a feel. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, obviously, you know, the volume level of it is a good place. But I think it just it sits really well in the mix mm-hmm. uh, tonally. And it's it's just it's a great, great sounding kick drum, great sounding drum kit. Sweet. Uh, my second song is kind of the same scenario as your first song, where when we're talking drum tones, like this album in particular is going to be on every mm-hmm. every playlist. I'm going to try not to reference the same song. Um, yeah. Try to analyze the album a little more to kind of um, give it context. So, because you know, you're going to automate all of everything when you're at that level and. Home recording people get into your automation game. It's it it's gonna do more for your mix than fiddling with a static EQ setting. Oh yeah. Like just Oh yeah. I wanna try to mix a song where I automate it first and then I EQ everything. I just wanna see that what sounds happens. weird. That's a fun <laughs> it'd be a, but I will it'd be a fun challenge. gladly listen to it. <laughs> um You know, just like if I didn't have any pro- like the only thing I could do was fader movements and just see where the song goes and then see if I can tuck it in from there. I like it. Just but do happens. you have multiple mics on each source? Because that I feel like if you only had one mic for each. We're going to try to do it home yeah. recording cool. style. Yeah. Um, uh, so the song is The Outsider or just Outsider off of uh, Perfect Circle's 13th Step. I love the drum sound so much. I got the album cover tattooed on my elbow. So pretty. <laughs> that's like the highest praise you know if oh, i'm yeah. it's on my hi hat arm so the most arm that the most frequent use is hitting the drums with this arm so i love the drums so much i i just want the magic in me but it's the got a good my guess would be d112 inside fet 47 kind of outside and it just it pushes it's got a little bit of slap but it's not super subby so the bass can lock it down in the low end. and that's a d112 thing too like you're not really getting anything below 90 hertz or so yeah. out of that thing like you can boost it but naturally it's it's not there kind of 90 to 3k is your your sweet spot for the d112 um yeah it just i like kick drums that just kind of push you know mm-hmm. no one really talks about just good pushy kick drums i don't push by matchbox 20 yep that's that's next on the list that's that's not on the list but so uh, number two for me, this is just an over-the-top drum sound all around. Over-the-top kick, just uh, so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Uh, it is the song Brain Pain off the album Brain Pain by Four Years Strong. By the band Brain Pain. Yeah, I Bad wish. Company by Bad Company off of Bad, Bad Company. company. Last <laughs> podcast reference. I'm just going to, we should have a podcast <laughs> where all we do is talk about other, other podcasts. Uh, steal the jokes from other podcasts. <laughs> Series ideas and jokes. It's a cover. It's a podcast cover. Yeah, we're a tribute podcast. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we just re-record the same episodes they did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that kick drum is just so in your face, clicky as all hell. Mm-hmm. It cuts through. Uh, it, it's got low end too, you know, knock your sub around is just a great, great kick. I mean, I, I don't want to say I said earlier, not realistic. I've been at shows where like 
that kick drum, the way those kick, like guys will EQ kick drums at yeah. a huge venue where it's just smacking you in the chest. That's what this kick drum sounds like on a studio album, and it's it's a, over the top. Is that a Putney one? Yeah, Putney. Yeah. Putney has got just the most craziest drum sounds. They are yeah. just so explosive sounding. That's that's the only word. He explosive. do be good at. All right, number three for Adam. Sorry, I was just checking to see that we were still recording. I get paranoid sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, number... Th- oh, my phone died. I wrote my list on my phone and not my notebook. Uh, an- another one of those albums that I'm probably going to reference throughout drum tones and guitar tones and bass tones <laughs> and everything because they're one of my favorite bands, but uh, Push It by Tool. Ooh. Kind of okay, the same yeah. thing. It's got that natural vibe that just kind of pushes the song. You know, you get a little bit of low-end oomph, but it's not going to, like, you know... It's not going to hit you in the pants with how subby it is because it's... The thing I like about Tool is that the kick drum's kind of mixed behind the bass a little bit mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of, you know, it just... Again, it's a pushy-sounding kick drum for lack of a pun because the song is Push It. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's just a good... Danny Carey's one of my favorite drummers as anyone who knows me knows, so... Danny Carey. He can do no wrong. Um, I will, I'm going to skip my number three and come back to it. Number four, uh, Burden in My Hand, Soundgarden. Specifically okay. that song, because that whole album, like every song is mixed slightly differently. Yeah. They self-produced that. It's off of Down on the Upside. Yep. My favorite Soundgarden record. I just, I love how, one, how long that record is. It's like 15 or 16 songs. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, hey, we just recorded like a number one hit record. We're going to do whatever the hell we want to do on this album. Yeah. They self-produced it. Uh, my favorite record. I love the drum sound on that. The kick drum sound is just a really good rock kick. It is, this was kind of during the time where I think, you know, we started getting the more clicky kick drums. It was in the 90s with the grunge guys and the metal scene at the time. And I liked how Soundgarden yeah. on this record. They weren't like Pantera click. Yeah, but... no. And I, this kick drum is not very kicky. I feel like it is a really good, um, it's just a great, like, I call it a classic classic rock sounding kick drum it's thuddy it's got presence to it um, i think that's there's body to it it's just it's a really great yeah kick drum that's sound. a more descriptive um, way of saying pushy yeah like you know, what it, i was trying to describe with that yeah <laughs> that like it word. wouldn't it wouldn't work in in the context of like a metal song it's it just doesn't have enough to it but yeah. for a more open arrangement like what that song is um it's great it's it's got a Ah oh, man, I'm trying to think. I don't know. It's got a tone to it that really complements the song. Yeah. I think it. If I think a lot of times kick drums these days are meant to be either clicky or thuddy. There's really no. Yeah. You don't really think about the the whole tone aspect and how it affects that, the that rest like, of the song. The, there's a there's when you dial in the mid range right on a kick drum, it just stays in the. Yeah, mix. I yeah. feel like a lot of times kick drums, kick drums and and drums in general are just viewed as percussion and not yeah. melodic. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. not that a drum will have necessarily a melody, but you don't hear the musicality in it. It's just, oh, we just want that a hit. It's just a yeah. hit. Uh, whereas that kick drum and burn in my hand, it is so key to how that song sounds. I mean, the dr- whole drums on that cr- entire record, the the tones, the songs yeah. would be completely different if you had different tones on there, um, because it's not just you know the percussion of it. It it really is a, a warmness that creates yeah. the center for that song. Matt Cameron, underrated drummer Ooh, by the masses. One amazing. of my favorites. That whole band is so underrated, oh, yeah. technically wise. I know they're still, yes, they I not underrated as, yeah, they're one of the fam- most famous bands in the world, but in terms of like technical precision is what I meant underrated. You don't go like... Nerd what, level appreciation. Yeah, you don't, you know, 
rarely are people like, who do you think is a really good technical drummer, technical guitar Matt player? Cameron. You know, people, you know, these days, like, Tosin Abasi, this guy, yeah. or this guy. And it's like, well, no, those guys, man, had some really cool shit. I mean, yeah. Soundgarden was playing in odd time signatures. Their mainstream songs were in odd time um, signatures. 7-4 or and whatever, doing really yeah. really wild stuff. Um, we'll stick with the Chris Cornell theme. Oh, by the way, I only have four. How many did you do? Four. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I might have some other honorable mentions, but... Well, I have five, but we already made the joke. Did we? Yeah. Your uh, mom's ass is one of my kick drums. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Not Adam's mom, but just... <laughs> your The audience The universal mom. mom. Yeah. Um, I've lost focus. Uh, sticking with Chris Cornell, <laughs> um, a drum sound that I also love and will probably be referenced at least in the next episode, uh, Show Me How to Live by Audio yeah. Sleeve. Brad Wilk, just holding it down. That's a great one. Yeah, it's natural. It's not. It's. I wouldn't call it pushy, but I, it just sounds like a well tuned and well played. I love kick it drum. too because that one is such a, a good example of like the rudder in the water. Like the yeah. kick drum just really keeps you locked in. I mean, I mean, any of those groove yeah, you, based bands like that where you're supposed to just kind of yeah, like dig your head in yeah. and groove. That kick drum like does that for that song. Yeah, uh, and then you know what? I'll, my honorable mention is like any early Slipknot. Iowa or okay. Subliminal 3. Like, I know that we don't appreciate the click drum as a whole. You say kick drum or click drum? I said click drum. Okay, you did say that. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, Slipknot, they were the OGs. Well, I mean, I guess Pantera was the OG, but I had like Slipknot over Pantera. So, yeah. by far. Without, that would probably I, just got canceled for that. Too. I got canceled because I'm not really a Pantera fan. But I like some of their stuff. They, I know. had a roommate that really liked Pantera, and so I heard it a lot, and I was like, you know, I do like these guys. You know, you want to <laughs> yell respect, walk, and you know, Cowboys from Hell got yeah. a good got a good riff. Other than that, I don't. I just you know, it's yeah. uh, tonally, I don't really like any of the. It's yeah. all scooped. Mm-hmm. It's all. I was never a big fan of that sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, like any any of the Joey Jordison era Slipknot mm-hmm. just got Can't bring go bringing the clicky kick drum to the masses, and it's. When I appreciate it because they were the one who did it, mm-hmm. they kind of pioneered it before everybody else. Whereas yeah, they made everybody it else was just like, "Well, Slipknot did it, so we should do it." Yeah. My uh, my last kick drum, and this is one of my my favorite kick drums because I think it's just an all around great rock metal kick drum. I feel like you really could take this and with just a, take this kick drum sound, and with just a few tweaks, you could really get it to fit in any modern rock metal mix. And that is the kick drum from the song Lost, the first track off of Counterparts' record, The Difference Between Hell and Home. I think that's the record. I really yeah. hope that, right? Uh, yeah. I think the drum tones on that whole record, the kick drum, again, in particular, are a really nice, just attacky, thumpy, you know, punchy kick mm-hmm. drum sound. They're not anything i don't want to say there's nothing special where they really stand out and you go whoa that is just an amazing you know oh i think i feel like the other songs i mentioned on here they are great within their specific yeah but it's like universally but this is just universally you could take the that kick drum tone and that you know that whole kit you had a sample of that kick drum. yeah you you could use it in so many yeah Yeah. you know i think the only thing you wouldn't do it in is I don't know, folk bluegrass music or and folk jazz. music. But even then, it's kind of like just dial the compression back a little bit. and Maybe fast attack rather than slow yeah, attack. Yeah, exactly, because it's just a great sounding kick drum. It's not too clicky. It's not too thuddy. It's just it's just right. It's, yeah. it's a perfect it's kick a perfect, drum. It's perfect, yeah. It's just that if I could only have one kick drum, I would, I would use that one. I think I could get a lot out of it. 
I feel that way about the uh, A Perfect Circle kick drum yeah. on that album in particular. Cool. I think that yeah. wraps up kick drums. We did drum it. Drum shell wrap was the finish, what the drums look like. Yep, <laughs> wrapping up episode the Episode two, 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 two. In the year 2022. Ooh, Our first episode of, of 2022. Yeah. Next week. <laughs> next week talking. Uh, <laughs> next week's going to be a four-hour episode. Ooh, what are we talking about next week? Snare. We'll just go down the line. Oh, we'll just go down the line. Yeah. Maybe we'll th- we should probably throw something else in as well. We should split it between snare and then something else so people we're not just talking about drums. You know what I mean? That's fair. Maybe we could do... Um, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure the it out. The snare episode will be f- yeah. four hours because yeah. other than symbols, there's a lot of there's a lot of water in, oh, in yeah. the ocean of snares. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, uh, as always, these songs will be put up so you guys can check them out. We'll have a list uh, for you guys to listen to what we're listening to and backseat playlist. Sweet. Uh, do what you love. Love what you do. Travel light and... Don't be a dick. Catch you all later. Take care now. Bye-bye then.